The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you'll turn in your Bibles a little bit of a change from your bulletin, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a note sheet that's provided. Children, if you will make your way uh, to my left, just go out this door and there to the worship center. There'll be those who'll be with you. Have a great time of worship and praise and encouragement in the Lord as we spend time in God's Word together. If you're visiting and don't have a Bible with you, just take the pew Bible and turn to page 961. And if you don't yet have a Bible, feel free to take that one. And when you come by to see Cindy and myself in the lobby, dear visitor, come please. And I have a Bible study I can give you to go with that Bible if you'd like. So it's kind of a Christianity 101 Bible study. Be glad to do it. Now look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. This is God's Word, and God's Word is the truth. That is now read in your hearing. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you. Unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins... In accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles." Unworthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So, I'll let you in on something. One of the things I love to hear, I do a thing called Ask the Pastor about seven or eight times a year on Wednesday night. I do a little video uh, vlog on the website called Ask the Pastor. And then um, I love uh, in the... Here at the front, after the Sunday evening services, people will come up to ask questions. That's why I'm here at the front. And I, I love to, I love this interchange of, Pastor, I got a question. I, I will confess, if you come and ask me a question that I actually just preached on the previous Sunday, that's a little frustrating for me. But I'll try to get by that. So keep asking the questions and we'll have a good time in working through the answers. But here's something I hear, and perhaps, um, and my answer is always the same. And perhaps you have said this, and perhaps you have heard my answer. Pastor, I have a question. Oh, great. What is it? Now, Pastor, don't worry. It's not, it's not a theological question. And what do I say? It's not a question. If you've got a question, every question in life is a theological question. Every question... It's theological. The most mundane, the most practical, the most scientific, the most mathematical, the most historical, the most grammatical. I don't care what the question is. Every question is ultimately a theological question. When you get to the top of the mountain, all the sociologists, all the scientists, all the anthropologists, all the historians, they'll shake hands with the theologians when you get to the top of the mountain. Now, listen, listen. And that's every one of you. I agree with uh, the title of Systematic Theology book that R.C. Sproul wrote. Everyone is a theologian if they're a Christian. Now, why would I say that? Because of what you just confessed. What is eternal life? 
He says this, this is eternal life, that you know God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. What is eternal life? Is it forgiveness of sins? Absolutely. Is it heaven with Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. But the fundamental issue of eternal life is you know God. Now, what is theology? Theo, what does that mean? Come on now. Come on. You know, get, some, get some courage here. God. Ology. What's that? Knowledge of. What is theology? Knowledge of God. What is eternal life? That you know God. How? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is theology. That's what life is. It's theology. That's why it is the number one foundation of the five foundations of discipleship that we're preparing to roll out in January, of which I'm preaching through each one. Now, each Sunday, I'm only going to do just the time I have in a sermon to introduce it to you, but each one of these five foundations, by the way, it's a little bit like, this is not really all that new. This is kind of forward Christian soldiers by going backwards at Briarwood in the 60s and 70s and 80s. We had this thing called the basics, so this is just going to be called the foundations, same idea. And the five is uh, pretty much related to the four basics we had back then because we're still working off of the same body. Bible that tells us now that we were then of what are the foundations of the growing Christian life. And that's where we are. Now, folks, here's the thing. To, to be saved is to know God. Now, listen to me carefully, please. You can't know God until you've been saved by God's grace. Now, you can know about him. You can even accurately know some things about him. But you can't know him intimately, personally. Life-changingly, you can't have that relationship of knowledge with God. Remember that word, know? That doesn't just mean to know factual points. That means to know someone intimately. That's why when the Bible talks about the intimacy of a man and a woman in marriage, what does it say? It uses that word, gnosko, translated know in your Bible. Abraham knew Sarah. And result, Isaac. So that's what it means. It means an intimate, loving, intimate relationship. When it says Abraham knew Sarah, that doesn't mean, oh yeah, Sarah, she's about 5'3". Uh, boy, knock out when we got married. Just get a little, I mean, there's a few little contours changed since then. But uh, I, no, that's not what he's talking about. When he knew Sarah, he he knew her intimately, lovingly, personally. When you know God, you know him accurately, intimately, personally. Now, you will never know him exhaustively, but you can know him intimately, accurately and personally. How? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to be saved. How are you saved? Through the, by the grace of God through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You're born again. And now you have a personal relationship savingly with Christ. And you, to know God, you not only have to be saved, to know God, you've got to grow in grace. Now notice the Bible doesn't say grow for grace. The Bible says grow in the grace, not, okay, if you grow, God will be gracious. No, it's God has saved you by grace. God's grace is poured out within you now. Walk by that grace in humble reliance upon divine grace. Endeavor to walk with the Lord so that you are growing in and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Same way you got saved. Through the word and the spirit. That's how you do it. Through the word, not by intuition, but through the word and the spirit. Let me say a third thing. To know God, you got to be saved by grace through his word and by his spirit in Jesus. To know God, you got to grow in grace through his word, by his spirit for Jesus. And God has purposely purchased, designed, and directed his church for those purposes in your life. God put his church. What is it? What's the church called? The body of Christ. 
Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and until he comes again, the body of Christ that continues to seek and to save and to, the lost and to grow God's people in grace, God put his church there so that you can grow. Now, please hear me on this and don't react negatively first. Hear me out. I love parachurch ministries. I'm grateful for them. I've been involved in them. I support them. I'm thankful for them. But parachurch ministries is not God's design. Can God use them? Yes. God's design is his church. That's why he says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved what? The church and gave himself for her. I will build my what? My church and the king, the church of Jesus Christ. With the ordained leadership that he has designed for it and he has gifted for it. With its sacraments, with its oaths, with its covenants, with its mission, with its message, with its ministry. That's what he has put here for compelling evangelism to win the lost to Christ and for costly discipleship to grow the saved for Christ. That's what he has put here. And that's why we took the time to go through Luke 14. First of all, to look, learn about compelling evangelism. What is compelling evangelism? It's simply this. Christ's call to compelling evangelism is that God saves those who need him, even though they do not want him, by pursuing them with a compelling message. That's the gospel. With compelling messengers. That's his people who have been trained in his church to renounce themselves and live for Christ and go to the highways and go to the byways and go to the hedges and go to the city and go beyond the city to go throughout all the world and spread the gospel over the entire field, whether it's hard ground, good ground, thorny ground, doesn't matter. We're throwing the seed everywhere that God has sent this compelling message, this compelling messengers that he has equipped within his church and the compelling minister who fills his people and, in, and dwells within his gathered people. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit compels through the compelling messengers and a compelling message. And then when people come to Christ, they're called to follow Christ. Come just as I am and then follow me. And that was the second thing we looked at in Luke 14, the costly, that Christ called to costly discipleship. Salvation is free, but discipleship cost. Salvation is free. That doesn't mean it didn't cost. It just means somebody else paid it for you. And discipleship costs. Would, would y'all please listen? This has really struck my heart as I was thinking through this week. The gospel never advances without a cost. The gospel advanced in your life and saved you. Why? Cost God his son. Cost his son his life. And the gospel goes throughout all the world. It costs. Look at the martyrs. Look at the people who gave all that others could come to Christ. Whenever the gospel advanced, it cost. For the gospel to save you, it cost God his son and his son had to give his life on the cross. For the gospel to advance throughout all the world, people have laid down their life that others may hear of Jesus. And for the gospel to advance into every arena of your life and fill your life, it costs you, you. I surrender all. You know, uh, Dr. Bill Bright has had a wonderful impact in the history of this church and in the history of evangelical Christianity. But if you and I was not close with him, I know Dr. Barker was a lot closer, but I think. Uh, I didn't check with Frank on this, but I think you'd probably say that if you are ever with Bill Bright or if he ever teaches, it is going to take about five to ten minutes for him to get to this. You've got to surrender to the Holy Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without him. And to have him, you've got to give up you. If you're filled with yourself, you can't be filled with the Spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, quit saying, but first. There is no but first. When you come to me, I'm first because I'm everything. More than all in him, I find. And so that we come to him renouncing self, surrendering to the Holy Spirit. 
And as we come to him, renounce himself to hold the Holy Spirit. God says, now you are ready as my church to fulfill my mission. And that's what the third thing is Christ's call to uh, to his church. Christ's call to his church is to be on mission, on message and in ministry. Discipleship and evangelism is the Christ given mission of the church, which defines and directs every ministry of the church. In other words, from his ascension till he comes again, Christ has ascended till he comes again. We've got a mission, we've got a message, and we've got a ministry. What is our mission? To go. He, five times he gives the Great Commission. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Five times he's telling us in various ways, go and make disciples. That's what I've called you to do. Your mission is to make disciples. That's what your mission is as a church. What is your message? It is the gospel of saving grace in Jesus Christ. It is the fact that Jesus delivers you from your sin. Delivered, Jesus delivers you from the fear of death. Jesus delivers you from your sin, from death, from hell, from the grave. He delivers you through his son, Jesus Christ, and he delivers you from sin to himself. That's the message that we have. And it's a gift to you. And when you come to Christ, now you have everlasting life, eternal life, because you can know God. And his son, Jesus Christ. And then when you follow him, you get the blessing of giving up everything to follow him. And then he reconnects you to those things to use them for him. Your own message, church. Your own mission, your own message, and you're in ministry. What are our ministries? We got four of them. To, on our mission and our message, what are our four ministries? We re- upreach in worship to God. Right now, you're doing what you were made and saved to do, gathered worship. And there, I say this unabashedly, there is nothing more important in our life. I understand providential hindrances. I'm not talking about that. I understand an ox in a ditch. I'm not talking about that. I am saying that there is nothing more glorious, important in our life than the gathered worship of God's people In spirit and in truth. And then the ministry from upreach to outreach. Evangelism. Then the ministry of inreach. Love one another well. And then the ministry of downreach. Discipleship. On mission. On message. In ministry. So let me say these three things. The mission of the church is narrow and focused. The mission of a Christian is broad and comprehensive. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Take Christ to your business. Take Christ to your marriage. Take Christ to your family. Take Christ to your civic responsibility. Take Christ into your politics. Take Christ into uh, your community. Take Christ into your civic organization. Take Christ there. Because everything you do is in Him, for Him, and to Him. And if you can't do it for Him, then quit doing it. And so you're killing sin to walk with Jesus in every area of life. That in Christ, all th- that all that Christ would have preeminence in all things. What does God require of you, O man, but to walk, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God? Now, Christians who are the only way a Christian can have this broad, comprehensive, Christ-exalting life in word and deed. The only way the Christian can have that broad and comprehensive complete, uh, mission is if the church stays on its narrow and focused mission. Teaching you to observe all that he has commanded you by making disciples. So hear me out further. The church has been placed by Christ to propel evangelism, personal evangelism and discipleship. Hear me out further, please. The church is not a political organization. The church is not a civic organization. The church is not a philanthropic organization. The church is Christ's church who on mission, on message, and in ministry. And if we stay focused, guess what we're going to do? Christians who start those organizations, who know how to be a statesman for Christ, 
who know how to articulate public policy that blesses humanity, that knows how to go into civics organizations, that know how to go into every, even their business can become an extension of the kingdom of God. But only if the church stays on its mission and its message to equip God's people to be able to do that. That's why it is so crucial that we have that mission integrity. If the church does not stay committed to its mission, narrow, then Christians will not be able to do their mission, which is comprehensive. So what does it mean to disciple? Well, let me give you the five essentials. God willing, we're going to roll them out in January. But this, in the next few Sundays, I'm going to preach on each one. There are five foundations of a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. Five foundation. Now, each one of these is going to have, we're going to have the opportunity to get into each one for weeks. But of the five, we'll have weeks to give into each of them. I'm only going to take each one with just a few moments. Here are the five. And they all flow out of the Great Commission. The Great Commission tells us to make disciples. How do you do that? Number one, we're going to teach Christianity 101. Now, we're going to try to get to 201 and 301, but we're going to start with 101, which everybody is a theologian teaching God's people to observe all that Christ has commanded. Secondly, the second foundational part of, of, event, of discipleship is called the disciplines of grace. Notice it doesn't say discipline for grace. Jesus is the one that pours forth his grace. It is the disciplines of grace. Do you remember what the Bible says? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, discipling us, disciplining us. Grace disciplines us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and and um, and um, zealously. So here we are with the with the disciplines of grace, the private disciplines of grace, the public disciplines of grace. Then number three, the third thing is that um, and we'll go there next week. And then the third thing is stewardship, lifestyle stewardship. I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about every single thing. You know, there's an elder's wife. In fact, there are two wives. One of them clued me in. Um, I, I confess to you, I, you know, I finally found out what uh, I-M-H-O is, in my humble opinion, on Facebook. And then I found out LOL has two things, lots of laughter or laughing out loud. So I'm learning all the acronyms, but this was one I just, I was fascinated. She said, Pastor, can I tell you part of our problem? We're all too busy. I said, that's for sure. And she said, no, well, we're all too busy. I said, what is it? She said, FOMO. I said, what? FOMO. I said, can you help me with FOMO? She said, yeah, fear of missing out. So our kids don't get a chance to grab a stick and go in the backyard and, you know, I won seven World Series in the backyard. I won three wars in the backyard. But no, age four, we got them in this regimen, that regimen, the other regimen, this, that. And then, by the way, but the real thing is, is the parents then get into the regimen because they're running here and running that. We're just busy because we may not get in the right organization and make the right decision to get in the right place and be with the right people. So we're afraid of missing out. And then we begin to really miss out. Lord's Day. Means of grace. Small group Bible study. Our FOMO actually leads us into everything. The latest fad, the latest gimmick, the latest thing that's brought to us in an attention-getting matter that we're convinced we got to be there, we got to be a part of it. And if we're not, we're going to miss out. Then we miss God's Word, God's Spirit. And we're going everywhere without digging deep. That's why I want to talk to you about the stewardship of your life, the stewardship of your responsibilities, the stewardship of your relationships, your stewardship of money. But all of that, life is a stewardship. Number four, life, not only life is a stewardship, number four, personal evangelism. Everybody evangelizing, everybody, everywhere, every day. 
And then number that, that we got we, we got a thing called the bridge to life to do that. How to be how to be trained to share the gospel with other people. Then number five, worship. That's why God made you. That's why God saved you. That's why God sustained you for worship in spirit and in truth. Gathered worship and lifestyle worship. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Life worship, gathered worship. What does that look like in our life and how can life become worship? Whether I'm eating, drinking or whatsoever I do, it's doxological. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That first one is is Christianity 101. And let me just try to give it to you this way. In, in this particular study over the weeks, we're going to cover five things. Let me give them to you this morning. Here's the first thing. Christianity 101 answers these five questions. Number one, what is truth? That's called the doctrine of Scripture. The doctrine of Scripture. We just, just a moment ago, we said this. We said, John 17, 3. This is eternal life that you know God and his son, Jesus Christ. And then a few verses later, here's what Jesus said. Those who know me, here's what I'm praying. Father, sanctify, set them apart. Life change, life transformation. Set them apart in the truth. What's truth? Remember what Pilate said? What's truth? Bible tells you, thy word is truth. Notice the Bible doesn't say God's word contains truth. The Bible doesn't say God's word becomes truth. The Bible, what the Bible says is that the word of God is the truth, inspired by God. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And then God says this to us. He says, all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. In other words, for me to know how to live for Jesus, I got to get into God's word. Now, let me, please, let me say this. You can't be saved without God's word and you cannot grow without God's word. Now, can you have the word of God and not have the God of the word? Yes. But you can't have the God of the word without the word of God. The word of God in this is always working with the spirit of God, the spirit of God with the word of God. Put no confidence in the flesh. It is the spirit who gives life. My word is spirit and is life. You can't be saved without the word. You can't grow without the word. You can't be saved without the spirit. You can't grow without the spirit and the spirit and the word work together. The word profits in the spirit and the spirit uses the word. Why do you think Satan attacks the word from the garden? What's the first thing he attacked? Has God said? And then he offers a substitute lie for the word. Satan not only attacks the word, Satan would distract you from the word. Oh, yeah. Now, I know I know I've run the risk, and I, but I'm going to go ahead and take it. I am not talking about myself. I'm talking about something. It's through the foolishness of the message preached that we are being saved. Then why is the preaching of God's word not important? Is it because you don't want to be saved? From the penalty, the power, the practice of sin. Notice he didn't say it's through the foolishness of preachers. It's not us. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Satan would love for you to be distracted from your Bible reading, your Bible preaching. Or 2 Timothy 2.15. Do not, he says what? Handle the word of God accurately as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are saved not by intuition. We are saved by divine revelation. We grow not by intuition. We grow by divine revelation.
Where do you get the divine revelation? The word of God. So the first thing is making the decision. What is truth and what is its priority in my life? Secondly, now you're ready to answer the most important question after what is truth. Who is God? Harry, shouldn't you ask that question first? No. Because until you get into the word of God, you can't know who God is. Well, pastor, doesn't general revelation reveal God? Doesn't the Bible say that day after day, night upon night, his, the knowledge of God pours forth throughout the expanses of the heavens? Absolutely. What does it say? God is eternal power, divine nature. But you'd never know he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without this Bible. You would never know that Father gave his Son for you without this Bible. You would never know that Son gave himself for you to save you from your sins without this Bible. You would never know that the Spirit of God comes upon you and strives with you and holds you and grows you without this Bible. You've got to have the Word of God to know the God of the Word. Now, you can know the Bible without knowing him, but you can't know him without the Bible. And the Bible tells... Let me tell you these three threes about what we're going to learn about God. Here's the first three. That he dwells in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe and I teach and preach the preeminence of Jesus. But brothers and sisters, the gospel is a Trinitarian gospel. The Father gave his Son. The Son gave his spirit to you. You're saved by the Trinity at work in your life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Here's the second three. That God has done three great works. Creation, redemption, and providence. He made you. He saves you. He sustains you. He gives you your breath. It is in him that you live and move and have your being. So that here is this God who sustains us. Here is this God of glory and grace who upholds us. Well, Harry, what was the third three? <laughs> that was easy for me. First three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's know about God. Second three, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. He made me for his glory. He saved me for his glory. He sustains me for his glory. What's the third one? Holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is none like him. Your sovereign God who made you, saves you, sustained you. I love it when Nebuchadnezzar got converted. No longer an animal in the field. What's his next words after his conversion? And then my reason returned to me, and I said that the God of heaven has no need of us upon the earth. He does as he pleases. He is sovereign. And that's what begins to make sense in life. That's where I get my confidence. My confidence isn't in my nation. I love my nation, but that's not where my confidence is. Nations rise and fall. My confidence is, is not in you, and yours shouldn't be in me. There is only one who is faithful, eternal, unchangeable, sovereign, whom we can rest everything upon, and that is him who is thrice holy, and there is none like him. You've got to get a big God to lead a big life for God. And you've got to get a big God to take care of even the little things in life for God. And that leads you to then. Well, now you know who God is. Now you can say who I am because we're made in the image of God. Who is man? We're part of Adam's race. You know, the other day I had this wonderful conversation with some of my brothers and sisters um, who are African-American Christians, and they were talking about the difficulty of growing up, and every time somebody hands you literature, it's a white Jesus. And we talked about, well, what's the answer to that? Well, answer number one is quit making images of God, because <laughs> you always mess up when you do that. And there's actually a law that tells you not to do it in God's law. Let me give you a second one. 
Second one is, you don't make white Jesuses, you don't make black Jesuses, and you don't make brown Jesuses. Well, who is Jesus? He's already told you. He's the second Adam. Well, that means there was a first Adam, right? Right? Look down at the color of your skin. Some of you got brown. Some of you got um, uh, various tints. Black, brown, white, light white, dark white. You got all that, right? Every piece of the DNA that's showing up in your skin tone was in Adam. And then that thing called natural selection, not Darwinian atheistic evolution, but natural selection, began to bring it forth. Then Jesus comes. He's the what? Second Adam. He is saving people from where? Every tribe and nation. Here is the second Adam. Now, there's one. My first answer is I, don't, I can say no to the Darwinian view of race. Three, five, seven races that always leads to eugenics and that always leads to things of supremacy of certain races. So you say no to that. There's one race. It's called the human race. Multiple ethnicities. Multiple cultures. Multiple ethnicities. One race. The human race. Then Jesus comes, the second Adam. He has a race. It's the elect of God from every tribe, nation that belong to him. So now I can begin to find out who am I? Who am I uh, made in the image of God in creation? Who am I in redemption? Who am I uh, in anticipation of eternity? Who am I? And then I find out that actually I'm not I'm not a cosmic accident. I'm not a mutation that happened to work out through the process of violence. I actually am someone who was made in the image of God. We were made man, male and female, to image God. And we were made with purpose and we were made for a relationship. And it's all captured in that first catechism that comes from the Word of God. Why did God save you? Why did God, why did God make you? Why does God sustain you? So that this is the chief end of man, to glorify God. There's my purpose. Where? Everything. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the more I enjoy Him, the more I'll glorify Him. The more I glorify Him, the more I'll enjoy Him. Now I can get an anthropology from the Bible. Who is man? Because i got a theology. Who is God? Because i got a place to go that's inspired and errant and fallible, the Scripture. And that leads me to a fourth question. And the fourth question is, what went wrong? What went wrong? I love Chesterton's answer to this. Chesterton was at, a lady wrote him a question when she looked at all that was happening in the world. She wrote a question. She said, Mr. Chesterton, what's wrong with the world? He wrote back, Madam, the answer is simple. Me. We got, we're born with a bad heart. We're born with a bad record. And we live a bad life. We're born in rebellion against God and we bring all the confusion and death that a bad record, a bad heart brings into life. What's wrong? Genesis 6, 5. God looked upon the earth and he was grieved in his heart for the thoughts and deeds of man was only evil always and continually. And the only reason we're not as evil as we would be is not because we got a spark of restraint, but because of God's common grace that keeps us from being as evil as we would be. That's what's wrong. The doctrine of sin. Well, how can I be right? Praise God, the gospel. We're going to teach all that God commands in discipleship, but the foundation is the gospel. When there was no way, God made a way. We've got a glorious message that God delivers us. God delivers us from sin. God delivers us from death. God delivers us from hell. God delivers us from ourselves. God delivers us from our sin. He delivers us from the penalty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He delivers us from the power of sin. You've been born again by the grace of God. He, deliver, he is delivering us from the practice of sin. We're growing 
growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He delivers you from the position of sin. No longer do you do the deeds of your father, Satan. But now you cry out, Abba, Father, that God is your father. And now you number his people as your brothers and sisters. You've been adopted into the family of God. Now you've got a new home, you've got a new record, you've got a new heart, you've got a new life, you've got a new home. Now you've got, even by God's grace, the opportunity to renew your mind. When you come to Jesus, you get a new heart, you get a new record, you get a new life, you get a new family, you get a new home. What you don't get is a new mind. But you do get the word of God and the spirit of God so that you can renew your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know why I preach to you God's word? I don't preach to you God's word so that you can you can build a theological encyclopedia. I ask God, I plead with God, help me to preach the word so that when people know it, their lives are changed. A small group discipleship leaders got you there for Christianity 101, not simply that you can get the facts right, but that your life is changed, transformed. It's the word metamorphosis. Caterpillar crawls out, a butterfly comes out. I mean, I'm sorry, got that wrong. Caterpillar crawls in, butterfly comes out. And the butterfly comes out straining through that tiny hole. If you cut a bigger hole, you won't get a butterfly. It's through the struggle coming out that the beauty is given. And as you go into the cocoon of God's word and God's spirit through the means of grace in discipleship, then what begins to come out is someone increasingly becoming more like their beautiful savior. Through the suffering that comes in this world. So we declare there was a way when there was no way, God made a way. And we've got a great message. It is the message of Jesus Christ that you are delivered from your sin to your Savior. I have no fear of hell. I have no fear of death. I have no fear. Oh, I've got, what's it going to be? I understand all of that. But God has delivered us from that to himself. And we belong to him. And he belongs to us. And that glorious gospel, we get the opportunity to preach and proclaim. So here's the takeaway. The objective of evangelism is eternal salvation. The objective of discipleship is life transformation. By the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, beginning with the gospel. Would you add something to that? But not ending with the gospel. Now, when I was a new Christian... And I began as a, and a new minister. Here was my idea. Okay, the gospel is that body that we use for evangelism. And then we get over here and, and discipleship and we go beyond the gospel. Please listen to me. You never go beyond the gospel. Well, Harry, what about teaching them to observe? All? Listen, you never go beyond the gospel. When you teach the whole counsel of God, you're going deeper, higher, further and wider with the gospel. That's why we say the gospel of grace is the foundation of your Christian life. You are not saved because of how well you're being discipled. You are giving yourself in discipleship because of how glorious your Savior is. And then it's the foundation. It becomes the formation. Have any of you faltered in your Christian life recently? Okay, I'm going to give you another chance. Please don't say no. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're liars. And the truth's not in us. And I want you to know the gospel so that every time that happens, you don't go to a confessional booth for for how to do penance. You flee to Jesus. Now, you may need to confess your sins to someone you've sinned against, but you go to Jesus. He's your priest. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Come home. Come home, sinner. You who are weary, come home. 
The gospel is the foundation. It's the formation. And it's the motivation of the Christian life. What is discipleship? Obedience to God's gospel commands. Why do you obey? Because you what? You love him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why do you love him? Gospel. He first loved you. So the gospel is the foundation, the formation, and the motivation of the Christian life. But we don't get into the gospel. Why? Well, there's all kind of reasons. And therefore, we don't impact the world. Three elders sent me this this last week. This is so encouraging. They said, Pastor, in light of what you've been preaching, ooh, that means they were listening. Praise the Lord. We got this from a secular news outlet. I won't mention the news outlet. Do you know the fast, one of the fastest growing places of the church today in the world? Iran. Closed country. Fastest growing. Why? One of their leaders said this, and I'm, paraf- I am, I'm paraphrasing to get across what they were saying in their language. Why are we growing? Because of disciples and discipleship and disciple making. Disciples forsake the world and they cling to Jesus until he comes. Nominal Christians don't. So let me say it again. Nominal. Those who have professed conversion. But there's always something else that's first. Disciples forsake the world and they cling to Jesus and will until he comes. Nominal Christians don't. Disciples do not get engaged in a cultural war, but a spiritual war. Nominal Christians don't. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the Word of God. Nominal Christians don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything. Nominal Christians don't. Nominal Christians run when the fire and the trials come. Disciples don't. He says it much better than me. He says it much more powerful than me. But I will ask this. What are you? I ask myself. Am I the nominal Christian that dies in a pile or runs? Or have I already died to myself to live unto Jesus? And on that day I can share the word. On that day I can proclaim it. Am I a disciple? Am I a Christ follower? Who has said to God, I surrender all. I know you're going to show me things I haven't yet surrendered, but when you do, I'm ready. To the altar they go. I'll put my Isaacs there. In fact, God, would you let me put myself there? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I had the privilege to lead a guide to Christ in Miami. I'd love to tell you the whole story. I don't have time. I'm going to close in prayer. But when I led, had the privilege to lead him to Christ, I went by to see him two weeks later, and he's sitting in his, his, his um, recliner, Naugahyde recliner. I have no idea how many Nagas it takes to make that recliner. But he was sitting there just weeping. This guy's a deep sea fishing vessel commander. Weeping. I said, Jack, what are you crying about? He said, Harry, I've been a Christian two weeks and I don't know anything. I listen to you guys talk that love Jesus and I don't know anything. He said, and I want to. And I can't believe how much of my life I've wasted on what really didn't count. And you know what I did? I sat down and wept with him. And I said, buddy, when I was 21, I was right where you were. So I tell you what, we're here 
Pinelands is here. I'm here. Let's dig in. Dig down. No FOMO. No fear of missing out something else. Get in that funnel. <laughs> that discipleship that begins with worship. I mean, all this is what Jesus did. Big group, 70, 12, 3. Get in the funnel. And don't miss it because of fear of missing out on something else. Get in the funnel. Worship. Small group. Smaller group. In the Word. Not for just theological knowledge. But life transformation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. For the privilege to be in your word and to make our way through this text this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the word, this glorious word, 1,500 plus years, 40 plus human authors, so that we can have the author's message to us who made us, saves us, and sustain us and come quickly for us. God, please help us as we move into getting the foundations right. Everyone, a theologian, that doesn't just spout knowledge, but that knows their God intimately, accurately, in every area of life. And where we don't yet know him, come, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205 776 5200.